I don't know about, about you, but I know for at least for myself, it's been a, a crazy and, and kind of hectic even just weekend uh, so far. It, it started, this is kind of message 1A, so I'm kind of going off cuff here, but we'll see how this goes. But, you know, it's been a busy weekend. You'll see what I'm talking about. Like on Friday it started, we had a basketball game with Kenzie and her team won the championship. It was all the coach. So, no, no, it was all, it was all the kids. It was all the kids. But um, and then Saturday, yesterday, we had the flea market. Uh, if you get here early, you get here at like 5.30 in the morning, and it's a pretty early morning. And then after the flea market, we had, Kenzie had a soccer game in Annapolis. And then after that, Kenzie, I mean, then Ava had a soccer game in Columbia. So it was just one of those days, it was hectic. And I say that because everybody kind of has, you know, the, the hectic days where, where things just seem crazy, things are just overwhelming. And I was just reflecting on myself as we're here as a church family that it's nice uh, to come together here uh, on Sunday mornings, a, a place of, of rest, a, a place of connection, a place to gather uh, around God's word, a place to uh, sing songs of praise. And I was thinking, you know, for so long, about those few years ago, we were told we couldn't come together and we were kind of locked out of our church and, and we all missed uh, coming together in, in person. Uh, and I was just thinking how great it is to be here after hectic and everything and, and being able to rest in his peace and his presence. And amen. All right, worship team, come on up. No, I'm just kidding. All right. So, yeah, I'm not getting here that quick. All right. So again, welcome everybody to this. This is our upper room service, and you're probably thinking to yourselves, if you're like, what is upper room service? It's basically our communion service. So you'll see the elements uh, in front of us here uh, for this service. Uh, also, one thing we do, as I said earlier during the announcements, we keep our kids in the service. And, and why do we do that? Because we like the noise of kids? Yeah, we do. We don't mind the noise of kids. It's natural. Um, but we also have, because we want them to understand, we want them to hear the word, we want them to take part in communion when they understand and believe uh, just all that Christ has done uh, for them. And we want to make it fun for them too. So uh, we always do kind of little fun thing on stage for the kids to kind of take part in. Um, so with that kind of introduction, uh, kids, if you want to come on up on stage, this is the part they love because they get to steal my thunder. Here we go. All right. They're coming up, some begrudgingly, some just, you know, coming because they're excited. We got a little bit, all right, not as many today. We got a few more. All right, good, good, all right. Now, I got, I got to admit, I don't know, was it last upper room? Bill set the standard pretty high. He gave the kids $5 for coming on stage. Okay. You guys don't tie them. No, I'm just kidding. To give me to give $5. Just kidding, just kidding. All right, then we're still going to do the classic kind of candy. Oh, we even have some baby dolls. Look at this. We got every, uh, Jess, you're not a kid. I'm sorry. <laughs> Don't want to say it. All right, so, so we're talking today about the narrow door and the narrow path. And who do you think we're talking about when we say that? It is the Sunday school answer of all Sunday school. Yes. Huh? Nail? No, not a nail. We did have a, a guy that, remember that guy that bent nails? I can't do that either. You what? I do like my nails. Yeah, I do too. I do too. I don't have like Color Street nails. Five from Christy or Jess. Uh, anyways, uh, so, or Amanda. She's here. Oh, she's not. All right. 
So, the narrow door is the classic Sunday school answer of? Thank you. You guys remember your Sunday school teachers. I don't know what this is saying about our Sunday school if they can't even get the perfect Sunday school answer. Come on now. Jesus. All right. So we're going to be talking about Jesus and how he is the way to heaven. And we're going to illustrate that with this kind of water up here. Now, oh, Luke's getting excited. He's like, there's about to be a mess, isn't there? Luke is, Luke is like, water? All right. All right. Uh, we're not going to get quite to that far, but I do like your idea. So, I need one volunteer to come on up. All right, come on up. You're up here. All right, so here's what we're going to do. I want you to try and pour this water back into this bottle. That would be quite hard. Whoa, it would be quite hard, won't it? You're going to make a mess? All right. Have at it. Try your best. Try. Yeah, we'll get there. You'll see. All right. So, try and pour this cup of water back into this bottle. Ready? Go. Oh, 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 I'm going to, I'm going to make too much. Oh, yeah, yep, that's where I was going to come in and cut off. Yeah. Some Look at some, all right, some, all right. We got, we got a little bit of a mess there, huh? It's almost like in our own effort of trying to do things, I'm going to slip and fall when I'm preaching, aren't I? Here we go. You've been in enough water today. You've been in enough water today? Well, don't use that excuse when it comes to bath or shower time. This was not equal to that. This does not count. All right. But when we try and do things on our own, we make a mess of things, right? We try and go about life, try and achieve things maybe on our own, do good, do the right things. And all we do is make a mess of ourselves. But if we're trying to, in this sense of a bottle of trying to get to a place of salvation, trying to get to the place of heaven, we need a narrow way. We need a path that we can follow to get there. And you asked about the string. And let me tell you about, you were pretty close. I was like, if you pull off what I'm about to do, I'm gonna be very happy for you. All right, so we have this narrow way and we have this string. Why don't you come over here and why don't you hold the bottle for me? I am gonna put the string in the bottle. So here's what I want you to do. I'm gonna put this in here and I want you to hold that say. And hold this piece right here. Kids, you can come on up here if you want to gather around here and see what's about to go down. So hold this string right here, too, with the other hand. All right. So, oh, yeah, come on over here. And I know I always, you guys on that side always feel left out. I'm sorry. Hopefully you can still see this. Go back on the live stream and you'll watch it. And hopefully this is going to work perfectly. I'll say I've tried this a few times. Sometimes good, sometimes not so good. So, all right. So here we have we have this narrow path to this bottle here, and we're going to try and follow this path into this bottle without making a mess. And hold on, it's not on the string. There it goes. 
And there it goes, right down the string into the bottle there. Look at that. Okay, don't judge. Bible says don't judge. All right, so there we go. There we go. Look at that. So we got all this in there. By following this narrow path of this string, we were able to take this bottle and not make a mess and get us to the place. Not a huge mess. Come on. It's, it's, it's slight. All right. So thanks for coming up, kids. And here is the moment I know you've really all been waiting for of the candy. All right, here we go. How much? Uh, how about two pieces? You know, you asking how much is kind of appropriate for where we're about to head. So take two pieces. Okay, there you go. That's one. You want, you want another one? Just that one? Okay. This is the test of that old Halloween trick of please just take one and see if they actually take the whole. There's one. That's all you want? I was going to area two. One. Two. One. Two. One. Two. All right. There you go. Yes. Yes. Jess, you can have, whoa. You can have one. Just take, take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. All right. You get two. All right. Give it up for everybody. Uh, didn't. Oh, I already got stuff, but I appreciate it. Let me put this over here. This is always the hard part after this, because now i got to clean this up. There we go. There we go. I'll say that if we had a video the first time I tried that, uh, it was a disaster. So... <laughs> If we had a video of the third time I tried it, that was a disaster. That one wasn't too bad, so that was pretty good. All right, let's get this here. All right. Okay. I'm going to get my Bible wet. All right. So. It's always fun, like I said, to have the kids up here on stage. You never know what's going to happen, but it's always great. So, as I said, today we're going to look into this passage where, where Jesus is talking a, a, about this narrow door. So if you want to turn with us, we're going to be in Luke chapter 13, uh, beginning in, in verses uh, 22, and we're going to look through verses 30. Uh, in this passage, Jesus is going to address uh, the pressing question of the number of people who will be saved. Uh, his response is going to challenge our, our understanding of salvation. He's going to emphasize the, the urgency of salvation, uh, the effort and the narrowness of the door uh, that leads to eternal life. And I hope that we're going to then examine ourselves and, and to reflect and think about what is Jesus teaching us here in this passage. So before we dive in, though, let me open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, a place where we come together and come before you uh, to, to tune our hearts towards you, uh, to reflect on the things that you're teaching and guiding us here in this life uh, so that we can uh, live better for you outside of these walls, that we can be encouraged and lifted up. And we ask now that through this 
narrow door that you would help us to understand all that you have for us uh, in this life and for the next. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to begin reading, as I said, uh, in, in verse 22. As he went on through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, and he will answer you, I do not know from where you come from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say to them, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And the people will come from the east and west and from the north and south and recline at the table of the kingdom of God. And behold, some who are last will be first and some who are first will be last. So as we come into this context of the passage, we see that it tells us that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He is beginning a journey that will take him to the triumphal entry to the place of his death, his resurrection. And Luke tells us that on this journey, he is teaching in the, in the towns and the villages as he is heading towards Jerusalem. And as we have seen in our study this year, as we look at this life of Christ, we see him preaching the good news of the kingdom, talking about salvation and the kingdom of God. And as in this particular occasion, we begin to see the curiosity of the crowd begin. And, and we start here with a question. And we hear that somebody asks Jesus along the way and says, Lord, will those who are saved be few? It's kind of a, an interesting question to note. It's, he's not asking about how to be saved or, or any of those kind of ideas. He's asking about the number that will be saved. And, and will it be a few? And as we think about this, we, we think about the Jews, and a lot of the Jews would think just because they were Jews, they would be saved. Because they were circumcised, because they were of the people of Abraham, that they had this birthright and that they would just go into heaven. But Jesus has been teaching about this new way of life, this new way of the kingdom, and probably many are beginning to question Maybe all the things that they have heard, and he's wondering, and he's saying, Lord, are there only going to be a few saved? Well, as we go into the next part, we see Jesus' response, and what we see is Jesus is not really going to answer directly the question. It's kind of what Jesus kind of does. He, he likes to kind of maybe ask questions with questions and answer and respond in that way, but he's going to answer this guy in not the way that maybe he saw coming. He's going to kind of talk in a different way. Remember, as we go through these parables in, in different times during these upper room services, we talk about why he used these parables. And remember, it was an opportunity to kind of teach in a different way. He, he had been very direct in his teaching, and the people had come up and rejected him. So now he's coming along, and he's going to teach in a different format, he says. He's going to teach in, in parables so that those who are really 
wanting to understand. We'll seek him in a different way, and this is one of the things he's going to talk about in talking about this narrow door. See, this question that we need to think about as we go through this is, am I saved? What does it mean to be saved? And that's where Jesus is going to head through this entire verse in this section. He kind of begins here in verse 24, and he says, Strive to enter through the narrow door. The first thing we kind of notice about that verse is that word strive, and maybe that kind of hits you in a way that you maybe don't like to hear that word strive. Maybe you think about, are we trying to earn something, or are we trying to work toward something in this manner of striving? But we all know that we don't earn anything for our salvation, but Jesus says that we must strive through this narrow door. And the word he uses here is really the word where we get our word agonize from. In the Greek, it also means to struggle, uh, to contend, to exert to its fullest, or to labor fervently. It's this idea of a wholehearted devotion and effort in following God. This is the key that he is getting across when he talks about striving, that we diligently seek out God in all that we do. It is a life that is committed to God completely. It is the total commitment to God's life of salvation. Scripture speaks a lot about us diligently seeking after God. In Luke chapter 11 and verses 9 and 10, it goes perfectly with this message. It says, I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Seek, strive, knock, and it will be opened for you. Seek, and you will find. That is the promise God makes to us. We're about, how about Jeremiah 29, 13? It says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. It's not a a lazy following of God. It's a striving for it. It's contending for him. It's seeking him out in all that we do. And this is what he means as we seek this narrow path, this narrow door, as we even hear in other passages. And that's the the parallel passage for us opens us, uh, our minds, to more understanding of what Jesus is teaching here. And last week, Jonathan kind of spoke through the, 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 the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and he hit on this verse in, in Matthew 7. So I want to read this to you, this parallel passage that goes along with some of these ideas that Jesus is presenting here. In Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, Jesus says this. He says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. See, we get a fuller picture of what Luke is teaching here, of this narrow door, of this narrow path that we will follow. And as we see, there is a broad way that leads to destruction. You know, when we think of the word narrow, we're, we're intended to think about something very specific. Uh, uh, one way of salvation, the only way of salvation you know, I've kind of shared in the past about this, this monstrous project that Christy and I have taken on of power washing and staining our fence. And if you've ever been to our house, we realize how long the back of our fence is when it has taken hours upon hours and days upon days to power wash this thing. But as I'm figuring out tools, which 
isn't my strong suit. I'm figuring out this power washer, and as you turn the nozzle, it either kind of has a, a broad, wide spray, which I'm figuring out really does nothing for the fence, or if I turn it into a more narrower spray, I can see it cleaning off the fence in, in a much better way. And I won't tell you how much time I wasted to see how this would all work out, but it, it all kind of went along with this in every kind of way, and I realized it was the narrow stream, the better stream to help clean off the fence. And Jesus is saying, look, this broad way is not a way that you should go, that there is a narrow path for you to follow. Jesus is helping us understand this in that same kind of way. The narrow door, of course, that Jesus speaks represents the kingdom of heaven and himself, the narrow way of salvation. This is Jesus' claim to, to him being the only way of salvation, and it's appropriate as we have our 9 a.m. class going on currently. And in that 9 a.m. class, we're talking about other religions. We're talking about the ways that they seek out and try and find their way to heaven. As they cast this broad net of different things of following and saying, if you follow this way too, you'll get to heaven in the same way. Where Jesus is coming along and saying, it is not a broad way. It is one way to heaven, and it is through myself. See, this is a powerful truth. It's the cornerstone of the Christian faith that Jesus is the only way of salvation. In a world where tolerance is celebrated, a statement of being narrow-minded might come across as not as helpful to others. However, as followers of Christ, we must boldly proclaim that this is the truth, and it's not out of arrogance, but out of love and obedience for our Savior. Jesus makes his claim about himself in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Some, as I said, will argue that different paths will lead to God. But think about this. Christie's family, as many of you know, lives in Colorado. So if I'm going to start driving to Colorado, am I going to take 95 north? Why? Because that is not the way to get to Colorado. In fact, it's always fun when you drive on 70 and they have that. I don't know if you ever noticed that there's a big sign on there and it says 1,600 miles to Denver. And yes, we have done that drive quite a few times uh, out to Colorado. So it's a very fun drive. You just hop on 70 and it takes you right uh, to Denver. There's really no turns needed at all. But there, there is one way to go, and if you have a, a, a GPS, how many times do you make a turn and your GPS goes recalculating, 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 basically just telling you how far off you have gone on your journey. But here we have it, a GPS and a destination, and Jesus Christ says, I am the way that you should go. His life, his teachings, his death, his resurrection, all point to the undeniable truth that salvation is found in him alone. Jesus came to be the bridge and the gap between a, a holy God and a sinful humanity. He offered himself as the perfect sacrifice for our sins, providing forgiveness and reconciliation with the Father. Salvation is not of our own. We become a, a puddled mess of water trying to achieve salvation on our own. For instead, as Ephesians says, it's by grace that we've been saved, not of anything that we do. Salvation is a free gift in Jesus Christ. 
we have that cross. The cross is sufficient to save, and it comes to anybody, as we'll see later on in this passage. As Christians, we must hold fast to this truth. We must push against all this, the cultural norms of wanting to cast this wide net of salvation, of earning eternity through any other way. Let us remember Jesus, the love that he demonstrated through all he did in his life and ministry here at church. But as the teaching continues, we see that there is a time when this door will close. And Jesus is bringing out the urgency of this salvation, the the uncertainty nature of the opportunities that you will have in this life and at the finality of this door closing. Jesus goes on to explain that those who delay, procrastinate, assuming that they can just enter the kingdom of heaven on their own, eventually will find a fate that awaits them, and they will find a door closed. Salvation is something that is urgent. It is something that we are to take opportunity of as the Holy Spirit works in our lives. We must make a conscious effort to follow Christ, to repent of our sins, and to trust Him alone for salvation. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. The time of salvation is now. And as the book of Hebrews says in Hebrews 9.27, it says, And just as is it appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. You think about that verse, and this verse, as we think about the 9 a.m. class and different beliefs, this verse gives no place for incarnation, of having a second opportunity at life. It says you die once, and you face judgment. This also might come in against, kind of rub against maybe a, a belief that you had growing up if you grew up in a Catholic church with this idea of purgatory. And this opportunity, oh, I'll, I'll be in this place and people on earth can, can pray for me and they'll say these things for me and eventually then I'll, I'll get myself into heaven. And it says, no, there is no such place. You die once and you are then facing eternity in either one way or the other. Let it not be too late for the Holy Spirit to work into your life and to bring you into conviction of your sins and repentance of those and belief in Jesus Christ. Next, we have this kind of heartbreaking scene. We get those who are on the outside of the door and hear what they say. We'll go through this again in verse 25. It says, okay, the master has shut the door and they say, Lord, open to us. And he says, I don't know where you come from. He says, well, we ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. He says, and I will tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, you workers of evil. What we get here is a shock for those who are on the outside. Those who would have thought that they would have been on the inside. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about the story of Noah. I was thinking about him for all those many years building this ark, proclaiming what was going to be happening, and the people around him just thinking he's nuts. Just thinking he's just this crazy guy, just building this huge boat. And for hundreds of years, that just plays out in this story. But eventually there was a time when that ark was finished. And the animals came in, his family came in, and Scripture makes a point to say in the ark the door of the ark was closed. 
and those who were on the outside eventually faced the wrath of God because of their not turning their lives to him. The rain began to fall, and it was too late for them. In this passage, Jesus is, as I said, on his way to Jerusalem. And he says, Lord, are only a few going to be saved? Jesus says, well, the way is a narrow door. And many will seek, but many will not be able to enter. Jesus says this to maybe not scare them, but maybe to strike them and to cut to their hearts that they would understand what salvation is. As I said before, many of them thought, just because I'm a Jew, I will be saved. Jesus says that the Master doesn't even know them. And we'll discuss more of this later on as we think about application into our own lives. But as it goes on and it says all they receive is punishment, it says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the prophets of the kingdom of God, but you yourselves are thrown out. Weeping and gnashing in the scriptures is a common term used as a phrase speaking about judgment and punishment. Weeping, we think about loud grief, mourning, floods of tears, gnashing of teeth, bitter rage, fury as you're just grinding your teeth. People will say, oh, I want to go to hell. All my friends will be there. We're going to have a great big party. But that is not what we see in scriptures. We see a place of torment and of judgment. It is not a place he wants to be. Now, it's interesting, and I didn't go too deep into this, But Jesus says, you will see. And a lot of people have a debate about this as far as will people in hell actually be able to see people in heaven. Like I said, it is something that requires much more depth of study. We do have another kind of story or parable that many talk about of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16. But I think it kind of brings us in this idea that we, if they people are in hell... They understand where they are. And they have this understanding that they have rejected God. And it is a tough place to be and a tough place to think about, as many of us probably have people in our lives who we know if they died this second might end up in hell. I have shared many times of our uh, president of Emmaus Bible College at the time would many times share in his messages about the fact that he knew that his brother was in hell because he knew the way his brother lived and he knew what his brother believed and he knew in a moment his brother's eyes closed in an instant. It was heartbreaking for him. But if we think about people with other beliefs and we think about this, and it's a challenge for us. And as we conclude this section, we look at verses 29. And it says, And people will come from the east and from the west, from the north and the south, and recline at the table of the kingdom of God. And behold, some who will be last will be first, and some who are first will be last. Here we have a great reunion of the faithful. And we look at the inclusion of unexpected people. Jesus here is talking about the surprise that will come from the salvation of the Gentiles where the Jews put so much faith and trust in their own salvation, and Jesus is here saying there's going to be some from all over the world who come into this great salvation. The lowest and the outcast, all coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and the mercy of Jesus Christ. 
all will be saved. Many will come from all over the earth. It is the great promise of, that was given to Abraham, that, that his seed would be a great blessing to all nations. As he mentions that we're client at the table, it's most likely the, the marriage supper maybe we're looking at here. We just finished our class in Revelation talking about the end times. Gathering around a table with others, enjoying the meal with Christ himself. Israel then thought that they would be first. But in reality, they would be last if they didn't repent and believe in Jesus Christ. In this small section of Scripture, Jesus points out the importance of salvation. There will be a time when it is too late. And the too late will come in either one of two ways, either in our own death or in his coming again. But we have seen that people will even be surprised if they are left out. So this is quite a challenge for us today. It's challenging to hear these words and reflect on these things. And as you come to the application, we think about how do we respond to such a call as this in Scripture? Well, I think we do a few things. I think we examine our hearts. I think we understand the necessity of faith. And we understand what it really means, the fruit of a transformed life. Are we just relying on our religious associations or our church attendance to get us in, or maybe even our knowledge of, of the Word of God? Or do we have a, a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, the only way to the Father? It's not enough just to claim to know Jesus and to have encountered Him in our lives, but we, miss, we must live out what we believe. We must stand firm in His teachings and bear the fruits of love and obedience in our lives. We must continually strive to grow in Christ and to seek Him more and more. You see, they thought they, they knew Jesus. They say, we, we were with you when you were teaching. We ate and, and drank with you. We were right by your side. What is, what, what is all this that you mean? This might sound like for us, I, I was in church every Sunday. I, I heard your word. Or as a church, we say, look, you've said the sinner's prayer. For so long, we say, look, if you just say a prayer, you're saved. And then just go and do whatever you want with the rest of your life. And it's a failure upon the church to just say that's all it is to be saved. Church and salvation is not connected with attendance. It isn't a prayer. It is a call to repent and to believe. A few months ago, I preached on the parable of the soils. And then two weeks later, we kind of just went through it again in our small group with that parable. Remember, some seed seems to have a little growth, but in the end, there's no fruit. And there's only one seed that produced life. Jesus says there is a narrow way of salvation, and it is to repent and believe. People want to say, pray this, say this, but that's not what we see in scriptures. And Jessica kind of mentioned it uh, in the, during the worship time after they sang, this is amazing grace, uh, about the tragedy our, our church and um, Ashley and Addie faced four years ago with the passing of Nate. And I was reflecting on this, and then we were talking with Ashley in the office this week, uh, and we really got to this point of, of talking about the change in Nate's life. 
And they talked about how on one Sunday we were, we were singing the song, I'm no longer a slave to sin. And it was in that moment where, where Nate was broken. He, he understood the sin that was in his life. He understood the change that had to happen. And anybody who knew Nate pre-faith to after faith, not faith church, but faith in belief, knows the difference it made in his life. And that's what we're looking for as we think about salvation. And that's what we see as fruit is a change of life. It doesn't mean that we're never going to sin again in our lives. For we know that we are sinners and we all fall short and we continue to sin until we reach eternity. But are you comfortable in your sin? Do you think of your sin as a second thought? Or are you actively trying to kill sin in your life? It goes also back to my other message of salt and light. Are you trying to live different than the world? Or when people look at you, all they see is the world. And there's a challenge. Again, the message in Acts is repent and believe. Repent of your sins. Turn from your sins and go with it. Paul Washer, when he was talking about this passage in Scripture and he was talking about what it looks like to follow this narrow way and what it looks like to go through this narrow door, says this. He says, The evidence that a person has truly passed through the small gate is that their lifestyle is the lifestyle of living on the narrow way. They are committed to following a way of life which honors Christ. Jesus, in this passage, says that the correct question isn't how many are saved. The true question is, what is true salvation? Maybe you're sitting here and you're wondering, have I been left on the outside? Will I be left on the outside? Well, let me ask you, do you hate sin? Are you living like the world? Have you repented of your sins and believe in Christ and all that he did for you on the cross? That is what we have before us today in remembrance to think about his body which was broken, to think about his blood which was spilled on the cross for our sins. I have a bunch of verses that I want to read through as we kind of come to an end. It says, in John 14, 15, it says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 1 Peter 1, chapter 1, verse 14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. In Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. James 1, 22 says, Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Again, I want to make the point clear as we talk about this this striving. We're not talking about trying to earn any way into heaven. Salvation is a free gift given to us in Christ Jesus. But it's given to us when we repent, we turn from our sins, we believe in Jesus Christ. And that's what he talks about here. Don't get comfortable in thinking just because you're in this room that you are going to heaven. Have you repented? Have you turned and followed Christ and then live a life that honors him and you're going to fall. You're going to stumble. 
But that's why he's here. That's why the church is here, to lift up and encourage us in those times. You know, Faith Fellowship Church, the message from this passage in Luke is a call to action. It's a reminder of the urgency of salvation, the necessity for us to strive after him, to seek after him, and the exclusiveness that Jesus is the only way to eternal life. As we strive to enter through the door, not relying on our own personal religion, but rather embrace this personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Let us not delay and take salvation for granted. May we bear the the fruits of a life that is committed to Christ Jesus and be that salt and light to the world around us. Let us remember the grace and mercy that we have that we also will show to others. No matter of past failures, past mistakes, or sins, Jesus stands ready to forgive and cleanse us from our sins. He extends an invitation for those who seek after him will find him, urging us to enter through that narrow door of salvation in Jesus Christ. May we take Jesus' call with a sense of urgency. May we not delay and take salvation for granted. With all our hearts trusting in his grace and surrendering our lives completely to him. I invite the ushers to come forward as we get ready for our our time of communion. You know, we remember that the the door is narrow, but it is still open. If you are alive and breathing and Jesus hasn't come back, the door is open for salvation. May you seek to enter that door and come to an experience of joy and love in Jesus Christ and knowing him as your Lord and Savior. And as we take this time, we we come to this table as a remembrance of all that he's done for us. And here at Faith Fellowship Church, we don't ask you to be a member of our church. We just ask that you have, if you partake in this, that you have made that commitment, that you are a believer in Jesus Christ. And as we pass around the bread that represents the broken body of Christ, we ask that you hold on to it and then we'll take it all together as a church and then we'll pass around the juice and we'll take that all together as well. We still have the options for you in those chairs. If you're not comfortable yet still with things being passed around, there's individual cups uh, in front of you still, which has the first tab, which opens up, and then the second tab uh, for all that you have. But I ask now that you would examine your hearts. Paul tells us to, to look into ourselves and to see unconfessed sin. And I ask you now that you would pray to God as we approach this table. Take a few moments and spend some time in prayer with your Savior.